0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candice Keener, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candice. Hey, Jane. I think it's so much fun when we get to put on our um, Saturday Night Live impressions and say, uh, Underground Railroad, neither Underground nor Railroad. Uh, good old Linda
1: Richmond. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we have
0: another one for you guys today, the Holy Roman Empire. Which was neither holy nor Roman. Nor an mm-hmm. empire. <laughs> Thank you to Voltaire, who came up with that. Yes. And we actually are going
1: to discuss that ourselves, so you don't have to Discuss it amongst yourselves. So the Holy Roman Empire should not be confused with the original Roman Empire. No way. Yeah, but there were a lot of um, parallels that we're going to talk about, and we're going to start with the original Roman Empire because that sort of sets the stage the Holy Roman Empire. And eventually, the
0: uh, the crux of what we're going to be talking about is how a certain pope went crying boo-hoo to a certain very powerful landowner and asked him to save him from the mean people who were trying to gouge his eyes out. And <laughs> essentially, this started one of the most powerful civilizations in history. So, we'll eventually be getting to Charlemagne, but first, we've got a lot of background info
1: for you guys. So, if you know much about Roman history, Constantine took over, I think, it's the 3rd century. Correct me if I'm wrong with that. He made his Entire empire Christian, but eventually the whole empire broke up. And when when that happened, Europe was rather fractured. It ended up splitting into lots of Germanic tribes and just tribes all over the place. There weren't uh, like Germany and France like we know it today didn't exist at all. Right. So we have a bunch of different tribes with lots of different
0: names. We got the Lombards and the Franks and the Saxons and all these other Germanic tribes. Each waging their own leadership among various different blocks of people. But then over in the east, we have a relatively unified and organized
1: Byzantine Empire. Mm-hmm. So we have the Byzantine Empire over to the east. And meanwhile, over in around the Germanic tribes, we have this guy named Pepin the Short. And he was a powerful Frankish lord. Despite his name. <laughs> yeah, he was very powerful. And... um with his brother, he owned he had uh, a lot of land, and when his brother died, he actually assumed his duties. He took over the family business, so to say, and he he had his uh, sights set really high, and he wanted to depose actually the head of the Franks, the king of the Franks, and dis- dispose that entire bloodline and put himself in. Um, uh, instead, And he got a lot of blessings from people in high places. He was blessed by uh, bishops in when he did take over. And so he held a lot of uh, religious clout at this time.
0: And not to mention that eventually he conquered lands that range from modern-day France to Switzerland. So he had a ton of domain under his thumb. And in the winter of 742, his son, uh, Charlemagne, was born. And back then he was just called Charles. That's right.
1: <laughs> he wasn't great
0: yet. He didn't get the LeMaine until later.
1: <laughs> but when he was, uh, Charlemagne was still, or Charles, I should say, was still a little boy. His father was really powerful. And he's so powerful and has so many uh, good friends in the church that the Pope, Stephen II turned to Pepin for help, and this was because the Lombards, another tribe, was um, starting to threaten the Pope and his lands. and so he went to Pepin and asked him to protect him, and when he did, Pepin lived up to his promise. In exchange, the Pope called him the protector of the Romans. And the land that Pepin took over from the Lombards, actually, he turned over to the Pope. This is called the Donation of Pepin, and it became the basis for the Papal States, which are very important.
0: And this idea of a a Pope coming to um, one of Pepin's heirs and seeking protection is a pattern we're going to see later with his son. But just to point out, this is really significant. The Pope, obviously, an earthly leader ordained by the highest powers in heaven, coming to a very, very secular leader and asking for assistance. This is sort of unprecedented. The idea that a man of God and then a man of of the land would work together like this. It mm-hmm. sort of shows a, a reversal of powers, or at least a willingness for church and state to try to work things out together. Sure, so it's like very you, unusual. Yeah,
1: and like you said, this is a lot of stuff is going to be foreshadowing what Charlemagne does when Pepin dies. He leaves uh, his land to his son, Charlemagne, and uh, Charlemagne's brother, Carloman. And
0: we should point out that Charlemagne never really got any formal education, and he was virtually illiterate. However, he did inherit from his father a really great sense of of leadership. He saw his father, you know, accomplishing all of these wonderful deeds in his life, helping out with the Pope, of course, naturally, Mm -hmm. and then conquering all of these lands. So it set him up for a lifetime, I think, of, of
1: warmongering in a sense, but also an idea of diplomacy, yeah, people, historians say about Charlemagne that he had sort of an innate intellectual curiosity, even though he didn't have as much book learning, book as, learning. Uh, as he probably would have wanted. And when he inherited all this land with his brother, uh, sibling rivalry – onset really fast, and he actually, Charlemagne actually uh, married a Lombard princess. The Lombards, as we said, were sort of a rival of the Franks, but um, marrying the pr- the princess was a sort of way to make an alliance with the Lombards and get an upper hand uh, with against his brother, Carloman. When but that didn't really matter, because Carloman died in 771 anyway. Exactly, so. and after Carloman died, he actually repudiated his marriage with the princess. <laughs> Poor girl. Um, <laughs> Did she keep the ring? I hope so. So at this point, Charles got control over the whole kingdom. He dismissed the claims of his brother's heirs, and he just sort of took it all on himself. And he organized an an enormous military power, making um, enlistment obligatory, uh, organizing soldiers who somehow he made fiercely loyal to him.
0: And... He was focusing a lot of his efforts against the Saxons who were to the north. And so he made a lot of enemies very quickly, but he also gained a lot of strength because he would take his troops across the Pyrenees and through the east. And with every maneuver, he was getting more land and expanding his empire and getting more people under his thumb. And he was sort of known for this really harsh temper, too. I think I think one day uh, some Saxons took down his soldiers and he got very angry. So all the Saxons, thousands that he was keeping prisoner
1: cut off all their heads, and one day, pretty impressive, so do all yeah. mess with Charlemagne. So you can tell he's got a lot of power by this point, and he's got, like his dad, friends in high places, he's good friends with the Pope, Adrian at the time, and the Pope was having a lot of problems with the Lombards again, and uh, in 1770, I'm sorry, 772 AD, um, the Pope turns to Charlemagne to help him again defend uh, himself from the Lombards. And the siege lasted about nine months. Charles finally did conquer Lombards and its capital and became the king of the Lombards. And in the ensuing decades, uh, like Candace said, he had all these um, military campaigns trying to conquer the Saxons, who were a pagan uh, Germanic uh, tribe, and it took him, I think, 30 years to conquer them. But in addition to them, he conquered the Arabs and the Avars. To give you some frame of reference, this incorporated land as well. Modern-day France, Belgium, Holland, Switzerland, Austria, and pieces of Germany, Italy, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and Spain. I mean, his empire was vast. It was huge. It really was. So it was no surprise, really,
0: when uh, Pope Leo III came to him seeking help. And to give you a little bit of background on Leo, he had a lot of enemies in high places. He was not very well liked. I don't know if he had a loose mouth or what, but he had been condemned of both perjury and adultery and actually imprisoned. But he broke out and he thought, if I can just talk to Charlemagne and get him to believe me, then certainly he will change everyone's minds. So he broke out of prison and and fled to Charlemagne. And Charlemagne agreed to come to Rome and to talk to everyone and see if he could absolve Leo's name and he did and then he actually banished everyone who had accused Leo of these crimes and wow. again i'm not sure if he was falsely accused or justly accused but if you've got a friend in that high position of power does it really matter
1: yeah and there were a lot of schisms or uh, things that were happening to distance the east and the eastern uh, byzantine empire and though the um lands to the west in the church because um, before Leo III came about the, the Pope before him Adrian was sort of trying to balance the two huge powers against each other trying to say sort of out of the fight not showing a preference and when Leo comes around, he shows an obvious preference for Charlemagne and the Franks. And this makes a lot of people angry. Uh, they say that the people who attacked the Pope were actually uh, part of a band that were Adrian's supporters.
0: And they meant business. They tried yeah. to gouge out his eyes and cut out his tongue. And that may sound harsh, but I think that was pretty uh, standard punishment back then for someone who was speaking out against.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was customary so because it would have made him incapable of being the Pope anymore. There you go. So it would have taken him out of power effectively, Without actually killing him, um, and we should also mention some other things that were dis- dis- uh, excuse me, distancing the two empires, which were some um, heresies going on, at least in the eyes of the church, and arguments about about whether they should be uh, considered or not. For instance, iconoclasm—you've probably heard of this. It's called the worship of icons. It was very common in the Byzantine Empire. Uh And Charlemagne thought of this as heresy. And it was a huge argument in the church that eventually led to the schism. But at this time, it was still an argument. And another matter called filioque seems kind of a minute theoretical theological argument, but it had to do with whether the Holy Spirit proceeded from both the Father and the Son or just the Father. This was a huge matter at the time. It seems a rather odd today, but this was a huge matter at the time that Charlemagne was was for the idea of Filioque, and so this helped distance um, the two uh, empires. So if we hearken back to your statement that Jane made earlier about the idea of, of Pepin
0: being supported by the Pope and the idea of the Pope coming to Pepin and asking for his help, we see this now, I'll flash forward to Charlemagne and Leo and the same thing happening. And Charlemagne and Leo actually had perhaps been putting their heads together. And if we look at Charlemagne's contemporary biographer, Einhard, who lived at court, he wrote very good things about Charlemagne. Obviously, he wanted to present him in a good light because he had to answer to him. And according to his biography of the leader, Charlemagne had no idea this was coming. But on Christmas Day in 800... Leo actually coronated Charlemagne and, and crowned him the leader of Surprise. the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> Surprise! You are the leader of all of this. And according to Einhard, Charlemagne was very, who, me? And mm-hmm. he was kind of angry about it. But yeah. other historians have reasons to suspect that Pope Leo and Charlemagne had struck a deal, where if um, good old Charles helped
1: out his pal Leo, he could become... Charlemagne. Yeah, some historians, uh, say that the Pope wouldn't have dared, uh, try to pull this if, w- uh, without Charlemagne's knowledge of it and permission. Which kind of makes sense, uh, you know, Charlemagne can strike this deal and, and when it's all done, he can say, oh, I wasn't expecting that at all. I, I wouldn't have approved of that, you know. He was, uh, done the Emperor of the Romans, kind of harkens back to his dad, who is called the Protector of the Romans. It sort of takes it a, a huge notch up. It's also significant because the Pope was basically giving himself the power to confer this title. So although he's giving a title to someone else, it's uh, sort of instilling in himself the authority to do so. Right. And this would have been a
0: pattern that continued throughout the existence of the Holy Roman Empire. And it actually lasted for another thousand years. It ended in 1806 with Emperor Francis II And it was a tradition for the Pope to actually crown the king. And this didn't happen with all the different leaders, but it was more the rule than it was the exception. And Charlemagne actually did great things with his power, not just in terms of conquering lands, but... I guess in the in the winter of his life or a little bit before the winter of his life he began developing his interest in scholarly pursuits and education and we mentioned before that he'd been deprived of this when he was a child but in 802 he founded what was known as the Palace School and it was an institute of higher learning run by the very best minds in Europe he got the greatest scholars all together and he made this really prestigious school that virtually anyone could come to and matriculate at. And he had all of the Frankish oral traditions transcribed. So that was a pretty significant contribution. And he even tried to make his own grammar and set that as the tone for the day, which Hmm. I really like that idea. And I think (laughs) I'm going to try to do the same. But Charlemagne wasn't successful. And I think that I would have even less clout.
1: Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, Charlemagne, despite all his cruelty on the battlefield, I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, the punishment for get, not getting baptized into Christianity at points was death. And um, you can say what you want about how cruel he was. He did a lot of really cool things with the education. And one of my favorite things that he did was he produced manuals to teach Latin to, to lay people and just help people understand. He standardized the liturgy as well. Sort of, you can see the, the cross between church and state here and how much power mm-hmm. he welded over the church. But to help he people understand, Understand the liturgy too, and that's that's one of the common complaints against the traditional church is that uh, it was said in the mass, etc., were said in Latin, and the people, lay people, don't know what's going on. And I think Charlemagne made a, a lot of strides into helping everyone sort of understand their own faith. And I wonder if that's because
0: of his upbringing that he was denied that sense of education. And I wonder how Maybe. many years. He went along with that and just, you know, mouthed words and didn't understand what he was saying or what he was committing himself to. But I think he did look out for the lowest common denominator. And again, you know, that's a, a wonderful, benevolent thing, but it's also a good way to wield your power because there's usually a lot more poor people than there are aristocracy. And so if you get those people on your side, essentially, you've, you've built up your loyalty base even more. So who yeah. knows how he was building his power? I think he was pretty tricky. It's true, good old Charles. And there's obviously more to say about Charlemagne than we could ever cover in a podcast, but luckily for us, we actually have a new forum in which we uh, can say...
1: Clever and not-so-clever things about history (laughs) every weekday. That's right. Every day, Candice and I post on our blog, Stuff You Missed in History Class, which you can find on the site. And uh, it's really cool. We get to uh, talk about newsy stuff, things that are coming out uh, about um, news or that is relevant um, to to history. And uh, if you want to check it out and if you want to send us uh, suggestions about podcasts or blog suggestions, we actually handle those every Friday as well.
0: We do. Fan Mail Friday. So if you want to read the blog or read the background story for this podcast, it is in an article very cleverly titled by our colleague Kristen Conger, How Did an Attempt to Blind a Pope Establish the Holy Roman Empire? You can find that and much more on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at
1: HowStuffWorks.com.